Hi, and welcome to episode 5 of Rambling About Greek Mythology, a lax podcast where I just talk about a lot of Greek mythology. Before we get started today, a listener did point out to me that the King of the Giants, the ones that fought in the Gigantamaki, is also said to be Porphyrion according to Pindar. I will try to avoid, ahead of, like, from now on, uh, not covering all possible versions when it calls for it. Uh, yeah, that was just something I missed, but yeah, he's sometimes said to be the king of the gods, so I guess Rick Riordan is then right. Now, today we'll be discussing the famous stories of Apollo. So we're going to be discussing what he's involved in and kind of like what the outcome is. Uh, so this will be part two of Apollo. Unlike Aphrodite, he is sectioned into three parts instead of two, um, because the third part, all his children and stuff, will take too long, and we definitely do not want to put it in this episode. But this episode's really important in of its own, because you should be able to notice some basic ideas and themes as to who Apollo is. So, without delay, let's dive right in. So our first story we're going to be talking about is Achilles, and Apollo is actually involved with Achilles in two ways. So, the first way, and both take place during the uh, Trojan War. So, when Achilles started going ham on the battlefield, uh, if you don't know what ham is, I'd rather not describe the uh, term. I think Kanye West and Jay-Z's collaboration song, Ham, is a much better definition of the acronym. Uh, so, Agenor, the son of Antenor, a famous Trojan elder, took it upon himself to challenge Achilles to allow the Trojans to flee. So Achilles is just now raging on the battlefield and is pretty much unstoppable. When Agenor was wounded, Apollo spirited him away and took his form to divert Achilles and therefore save the Trojans, at least for now. The second aversion that Apollo's involved in is he helped Paris, son of Hecuba and Priam, guide his arrow and hit Achilles in the weak mortal heel that ends up killing Achilles. So he's technically involved in one more way, but we'll talk about that a bit later. Next, we have Admetus. I already discussed this, but I'll just briefly go over his story again. If you need reference, just go to Random Myths Part 1. So, in this uh, story, he Admetus was the king of Pharae, whom Apollo was serving out of punishment uh, for killing the Cyclopes, and he helped all Admetus' cattle bear twins get really good horses, uh, arrange the chariot to woo Alcestis and win her from Peleos, and enabled him to live a super long life by getting the fates drunk and uh, getting the ability for him to have someone else die in his place. So yeah, if you want a much more in-depth version of the story though, reference Random Myths Episode Part 1, I talk about the whole story there. Then we have Alcathous, also talked about this whole story in Random Myths Episode Part 1, but the only real significance is that Apollo helps Alcathous build the walls of Megara, and that is why if a pebble were to strike a stone in the wall, it would ring with a musical note. Also, Alcathous, when he killed his son, was actually sacrificing to Apollo. So yeah, just another interesting thing. Next, we have the Argonauts. And so I'm not sure... So I'm in a Greek class right now where we're studying Callimachus, and we're going through his Aitia, one of his work, and an Aition is just like an explanation, like a reason. And so I'm not sure if this is the direct source, if, if Callimachus's Aitia is the direct source of this story, um, but you can always check out direct sources uh, just to see, you know, what did they write and stuff. But yeah, so during the Argonauts' return to Iolcus after they've gotten the Golden Fleece successfully, which I guess is a spoiler alert, the Argonauts were helpless because they could not see anything in this, like, 
impenetrable darkness. So Jason, son of Ison and Polymede slash Alchemide, and leader of the Argonauts, prayed to Apollo, and Apollo sent a flaming bolt from his bow into the sea, and this enabled the Argonauts to see an island to land on, and they dedicated a shrine there to Apollo. The island ended up being called Anafe, or Anape, which it means re- uh, revelation is kind of the way it's translated. I assume as in like a, oh, whoa, like realizing that something's there. Um, I couldn't find it in the TLG, the Thesaurus Linguae Graecae, but I did see the name of it just once. as like Anapheos in, or Anapheos in the uh, Climacus's Aetia, where it talks about specifically this story. Next, we have Arion. So Arion is not the famous horse, but rather a Greek poet and bard who allegedly lived around 700 AD and was from the lesbian city of Methymna, Methymna, uh, and he spent, a lot of, he spent a lot of his time at the court of Periander, a tyrant of Corinth. He allegedly created the Dithyram, a hymn in honor of Bacchus Dionysus, and he got fame for being the world's best singer, and this ended up in him getting a tour of Sicily. The crew, who was bringing him from Tarentum to Corinth, decided they wanted to kill him for his wealth and refused to accept the gold in return for his life. I don't know why. I guess they just assumed, like, you know, oh, we won't get as much, so we don't want to do it. Or maybe, you know, it's like a fear factor of, like, they don't want to kill him or they don't want to, like, just steal all his money and then get ratted out to Periander. Anyways, they did, however, allow him to sing one last time. And so he got up in his whole minstrel suit and everything and started singing a hymn to Apollo. Seeing many dolphins coming nearby, he jumped off the ship and onto one and then rode back to the shore at Tynarum. Tynarum, we mentioned before, is like the little like entrance to the underworld that Psyche uses. And he then went to Corinth and told Periander of the whole story, but Periander did not believe him, naturally, until the ship arrived in the port, claiming that Arion had remained in Sicily. And then because, you know, Periander knew this were true, was like, oh, I see, and crucified them all. A bronze statue of a man on a dolphin commemorating the event is at Tynarum for many centuries. I don't know if it exists anymore, and eventually Arion and the dolphin were both put into the stars. Next, we have Babis. Babis was a brother of Marsyas and child of either Oeagoras or Hyagnus and Olympus, and he played the single pipe flute as opposed to the double pipe flute of Marsyas. Because he was such a simpleton, Apollo simply spared him instead of doing what he did to Marsyas, which we'll get to talk about in a little bit. Next, we have Carmanor, or Carmanor, however you want to say it. He was a Cretan king, the father of Eubulus and Chrysothemis, and he was said to have purified Apollo, sometimes Apollo and Artemis, after the slaying of the python at Delphi. It was actually at his house that Apollo allegedly met Akakale slash Akakale, the mother of like Naxos and uh, Garama slash Amphithemis. Next, we have Carnos. So Carnos was either a seer from Akarnania and priest of Apollo who joined the Heraclids, the descendants of Heracles, at Napactus. Hippotes, uh, a Heraclid and great-grandson of Heracles via Phylos and Let. Uh, Lepephali, so Phylos was the son of Antiochus, who was the son of Heracles and Meda, and Hippotes went full Bingus and thought Carnus was a spy and killed Carnus. 
For this, Apollo set a plague upon the Heraclids at Naupactus, and they found out why this had happened, and he, they banished Hippotes for ten years from their group to enable them to be saved from the plague. There is another Carnus slash Carneus, who was said to be a son of Zeus in Europa and was just loved by Apollo, and was the reason he got that epithet we talked about last episode. Next, we have Chryses. Chryses was a, was a priest of Apollo Smintheus on the island of Chryses slash Zeminthi after his daughter Chryseis, whose real name was Astinome, uh, and she was like a fair, slender, small woman, was abduct abducted as a concubine by Agamemnon and the Greeks. He prayed to Apollo to send a plague upon the Greeks for their, this heinous accent, action uh, so that the Greeks may return her, as when he went, they refused. Apollo then sent the plague that starts off the beginning of the Iliad, and the Greeks eventually found out from the seer Calchas, son of Thestor, that they needed to return Chryseis to her father, and they eventually did. This story actually has a lot of echoes from it in terms of how it impacts the rest of the Iliad, but we'll talk about that more when we get to the Iliad. Next, we have Croesus. He was a Lydian king. Um, he's famous for a story where he was talking to Solon and asked who is the happiest man in the world expecting the answer to be him but he did not get him because he thought he was super rich and that he was therefore the happiest man ever but was not just a fun little side story more importantly though he's a Lydian king who came to the oracle at Delphi and asked what he should do about the Persians who were going to invade the oracle so mysteriously as always told him if he did attack the Persians he would destroy a great empire and he took this as destroying the Persians would lead to him destroying a great empire, like attacking them. So he attacked, and then he watched Lydia collapse. This is why oracles are the worst people to consult almost 99% of the time, unless you're those really rare myth stories where they just tell you exactly what you need to know, and it's just like, just do it. Like in Climacus's, uh Aetia, or Aetion with Acontius and Caedipi, it's just straight up the like Apollo or the Oracle, whoever it may be, just goes, oh yeah, this was a curse kind, or oath put on by Acontius. You should marry him. And it's like, oh, okay, thanks. Like, you know, no brain power needs to be put in. Next, we have the Cyclopes, which we already mentioned earlier, so this will kind of be just a bit more details to what happened. So again, they're ABS, Argies, Brontes, and Steropes. And after Asclepius had revived Immortal, there are many which we will detail in next episode, Zeus struck Asclepius with a thunderbolt, killing him. Out of anger and fury, Apollo in turn murdered the Cyclopes. And for this, thanks to Leto convincing Zeus not to throw him into Tartarus, he was told to serve a mortal for a year, which led to him serving Admetus. Next, we have Eumelus. Eumelus was a son of Admetus and Alcestus, and husband of Iphthemy, daughter of Icarius and Periboia, Aeneid, and sister of Penelope. Uh, the famous wife of Odysseus. So he went to Troy with 11 ships and these very famous mares raised by Apollo. And it was said that uh, he would have won the chariot race at the funeral games of Patroclus, but Athena broke the yoke on his chariot connected to the mares despite Apollo. Although he does eventually win the funeral, the chariot race at the funeral games of Achilles. So I guess he eventually gets his dub, but not with not at Patroclus's. Next, we have Eurytus. Eurytus is a king of Oikalia, the only notable one, and son of Melanius and Strat Stratonici, or like Stratonice. I don't know, it's just like Strato and then like Nice. So I don't know, Stratonice. 
seems like a weird name. And he was a super notable archer. And so he sometimes is said to have taught Heracles. We'll talk about that more later. And apparently he challenged Apollo to an archery contest and he was killed for his impertinence. This is a classic theme of gods. There's actually an Aetion of Climacus where it just straight up says like, I think Artemis just kills whoever boasts, like at the bo- like kills the boastful hunter, which is a reference to many different stories. Um, but yeah, so Drutus just dies for this. Next, we have Heracles, just aforementioned. So he was the son of Zeus and Alcmene, and after he killed Iphitus, son of Eurytus and Antiochus, she, was, she being a daughter of Pylon, he was plagued with a disease, and he went to the oracle at Delphi to ask what was going on and what he needed to do. For some reason, the Pythia refused to answer, and Heracles snatched the sacred tripod and threatened to set up his own oracle, and Heracles and Apollo almost entered a fatal duel, but Zeus sent a crashing thunderbolt between the two to prevent it, and then Zeus coaxed Apollo... Coke? Coaxed? Coaxed? I don't even know how you say that word. Um, got Apollo to give the necessary advice. It's really weird, though, you know, that, like, didn't not answering the question, and it seems odd, too, just given the previous story where, you know, like, he killed Iphitus' dad, and then now he's not helping Heracles. Like, it seems odd, right? Doesn't seem to completely follow logic. So who knows? Uh, next, we have Hermes. So when Her- when Hermes was born, he stole the 50 of the cattle of Apollo from Pieria and drove them to the river Alpheus, making it hard for hard to follow their tracks by dragging them backwards. Eventually, Apollo got them back from Hermes and forgot about the whole incident after he got the lyre from Hermes, which was made from a tortoise shell and sheep guts for seven strings, since it sounded so beautiful. In return, Apollo gave him a minor oracle and the caduceus, a staff intertwined by snakes. We'll discuss in way more detail how this story goes down when we get to Hermes, because it's really his episode, um, but that's just like a side thing that Apollo gets out of it. Next, we have Laocoon. He was a Trojan priest either of Thimbraean Apollo or Poseidon, depends on the version. He was either a son of Capus, the father of Anchises, who was the father of Aeneas, or of the famous Trojan elder Antenor. So, he married a woman named Antiope, and by her fathered Ethron and Melanthius, or more commonly known as Antiphas and Thimbracus. And when the Greeks at Troy were in the Trojan horse, he came running down screaming how it was a trap and threw a spear at the horse. Then Apollo or Poseidon sent two sea serpents that are coolly described in the Aeneid that came and squeezed his sons and crushed them before crushing him when he was sacrificing to Poseidon, after which the serpents coiled up at the altar of Athena. Apollo is usually the one that is said to have sent the serpents, and he sent them since Laocoon tainted the sacred priesthood by marrying and having kids. Um, but yeah, this this whole event was kind of awkwardly interpreted by the Trojans as they should accept the Trojan horse that led to their eventual demise. Um, and there's actually an ancient sculpture called Laocoon and his sons, which depicts the scene of the serpents coiling around them. It's pretty cool. There was also someone in my high school, I, th- I believe it was before I even... Yeah, it was definitely before I even started high school who painted a really cool but gruesome picture of a, like, baby um, being intertwined by snakes, and it's it's crazy. But yeah, it's really cool. Really cool scene. Kind of gruesome, though. Next, we have Laomedon. He was a king of Troy and son of Ilus, who was a son of Tros and Caleroi, and Eurydice, daughter of Adrastus. 
Apollo and Poseidon either decided to build his walls to test his reputation for untrustworthiness, or because they had been ordered by Zeus to work for hire after trying to rebel against him. They worked along, alongside Iacchus, a son of Zeus and Aegina, and grandfather of Achilles to build the walls. When a snake went through a hole in the wall, in the part that Iacchus was building, he was told that it meant his grandson would eventually take down Troy. References to Achilles. After they built the wall, Apollo and Poseidon that is, Laomedon refused their pay and threatened to cut off their ears or to sell them bound hand and foot into slavery. I don't know how he was doing this to gods. I assume that he had to have not known that they were immortals, right? Like, there's no way you just casually say that unless you're the most, like, impertinent person in myth. And for this, Apollo and Poseidon respectively sent a plague and a sea monster. We already discussed how the plague was solved last episode by sacrificing all the degeneration of the noble class. The latter we will discuss in more depth when we get to Poseidon. Next, we have the aforementioned Marsyas story. This is a big one to know. So he was a Phrygian satyr who was thought to be a follower of Sibylle, the Phrygian mother goddess, and he was a son of Hyagnus and Olympus, or Oeagrus. So digression a bit, we have to set up the story. So Athena invented the double flute and either saw herself in a stream of water in Phrygia and saw how silly her face looked and she discarded it, or after inventing it and bringing it to a dinner of the gods, Hera and Aphrodite laughed at her, telling her how silly she looked, and she went to Phrygia to see her reflection, and realizing they were true, she ditched the flute and threatened dire penalties for whomever picked it up. So, as you may have put together, Marsyas ends up picking up this flute, although sometimes he is said to have invented the double flute, contrasting to the syrinx slash flute of Pan. Either way, he thought the music of the flute was the most beautiful thing in the world and challenged Apollo to produce equally lovely music. FYI, challenging gods never goes well. The first duel was actually a tie. Um, just It was agreed that they both played extremely well and it sounded equally beautiful, but Marsyas lost the second contest as he could not play his flute upside down as Apollo could, so Apollo flayed him alive on a pine tree and left the skin on the tree at Kalini in Phrygia. So if we just review that second challenge where it's, oh, can you play it upside down? Um, how do you even end up upside down and playing it? Like, are you just on your head and like leaning against the wall? Maybe that was what the contest was. Because otherwise, if, a, if Apollo's a god, you know, and he can float and fly or whatever, and he just turns himself upside down, it's like, wow, I can still do it. And Marsyas is like, well, I physically can't. I'm not immortal. That seems like a rather dumb contest. But either way, it's supposed to show that the god's always right. So Apollo actually gave the body... Um, of Marsyas to Marsyas's pupil or father named Olympus, and either from Marsyas's friend's tears or his blood formed, uh, or his blood formed the river Marsyas. After the bout, the flute of Marsyas was cast into the river Marsyas, and floated down into the Meander, which is like the ad eponym or like the origin of where we get like to meander, like you know, like because it's so like curvy and stuff. Uh, it's zigzaggy maybe. And then it reappeared in the Asopus, reappeared in the Asopus River near Sicyon. Eventually, it got found by a shepherd who found it and dedicated it to Apollo. This episode caused him to hate flute music for a really long time. And despite this super massive L that Marsyas took, he was considered a hero in his land. And allegedly, during the war with the Gauls, the Phrygians claim Marsyas brought both his music and the waters of his river to help them. So you know. You take big L's, but I guess like his hometown was still like, woo, 
yeah, like this is this is our role model. It seems very questionable, you know, if you worship all those gods, but who knows? Next, we have Midas. So Midas is usually way more well known for uh, his story of the Golden Touch, which we'll discuss when we get to Bacchus slash Dionysus. Uh, but what we'll talk about here is that he was a king of the Mygdonians of Phrygia and a son of Gordius slash Gordias and Sibylle, the Phrygian mother goddess. He was said to have founded Ankara or Ankira, like the, I believe that's in Turkey, I want to say. And one day, he either was a judge of Pan or Pan or Marsyas and Apollo in a music contest on Mount Timolus. Timolus, the mountain god, safely declared Apollo the winner, but Midas declared Pan or Marsyas to be the winner, and for this, Apollo gave him donkey ears. Midas was super embarrassed, naturally, and wore a Phrygian cap, which he only removed from time to time for his barber to cut his hair. His barber was threatened with dire penalties if he were to expose Midas, so the barber, unable to contain the secret, dug a hole into the ground and confided to the earth of Midas's ears. Then, the reeds which grew in the area started repeating when the wind rustled them that Midas's donkey ears. That must be just so weird. You know, you're passing like this patch of reeds and it's like, has donkey ears like that's just so odd but i guess that is just how myth goes next we have niobe she was the daughter of tantalus and dione either the ocean or pleiad and she eventually married amphion son of zeus and antiope and a co-king of thebes i believe the fifth set of kings i guess as opposed to a just a king i guess and they had 14 children they were really going at it seven sons and seven daughters and she was very, very proud of these children, like a very proud mom. And so when Leto uh, was being worshipped worshipped in Thebes, Niobe complained and boasted she was better than Leto because she had more children. Leto, peeved, told Artemis and Apollo to slaughter her children, and they took out all the girls and boys respectively, leaving only two alive in some versions, Meliboya and Amiklas. Meliboya ends up changing her name to Chloris and marrying Neleus, son of Poseidon and Tyro, and Amiclas just seems to vaguely have existed. Niobe ends up being overwhelmed by grief, as you know, all her children just got murdered, and she's turned into a weeping rock on Mount Sipolis, from which water was said to come, being her, which were her tears. Next, we have the Pythia. So the Pythia was the, like, prophet, prophetess of, uh, or, like, oracle of Apollo at Delphi, and... So the main story here, we already talked about, you know, the first, um, who the first Pythia was, Phenomoi, uh, or Feminoi, Phenomoi, Phenomoi, uh, and there was a Thessalian named Echecrates, who was a military officer of Ptolemy Philopator, and he was known for being enamored by the young maiden serving as Oracle at Delphi, and either by wooing her or by kidnapping her, he caused the Delphians and Apollo to decree the only women that would serve as oracle would be older women who dressed youthfully and would be 50 or above. This was to prevent any, like, uh, maiden or virgin from being, like, wooed and then just losing the position and violating, you know, all the sacrilegious and sacred uh, rites. Next, we have Sakadas. So Sakadas was an Argive musician who actually reconciled Apollo with the double pipe flute, and he even got him to permit a melody, known as the Pythian flute tune, to be played at Delphi just kind of like a fun conclusion to the whole Marsyas episode. Then, we have Titius. 
He was a son of Zeus and Elara slash Elare, daughter of Orcominus, and he was a Euboean giant. Zeus, to preserve Elara slash Elara, hid her in the earth to protect her from Hera, which is why Gaia is usually said to have nursed Titius, sometimes even be the mother of Titius. Titius eventually became the father of some Europa who bore Euphemus to Poseidon, and his big story is that he tried to rape Leto as she passed through the Phocian village of Panopeus. For this, Leto had Apollo and Artemis kill him, or possibly Zeus did it, and he was eternally punished in the underworld by being stretched over nine acres while two vultures, eagles, or snakes, depending on your versions, devoured his heart or liver, depending on your version, which grew again with each new cycle of the moon. Finally, we have Zeus. According to one version, Apollo was said to have joined Athena, Poseidon, and Hera in trying to overthrow Zeus, and they had him chained up in like a chair or throne, I guess, until Thetis, the mother of uh, Achilles and daughter of uh, Nereus and Doris, got Aigaion slash Briareus, the Hecatonchire, to come save Zeus and free him. Allegedly for this, Apollo and Poseidon went and served Laomedon. So, that is pretty much all of our stories. Um, as you've maybe seen throughout, a big thing for Apollo is killing people who are challenging him, which is very natural to a lot of gods, but also a lot of retribution. Um, as you can see with like the Titius story and such, like you know, killing people for something they had done, or like the Python possibly being... Um, like harassing his mom and that's why he killed the python as opposed to her being the guardian who had just gone bad and so more so than that though he's also this both a healing god and a sender of plagues and destruction which is why it's really interesting that he's the god of healing but also the god of archery right there's like this two like the, there's like a duality to him and so yeah uh, that is pretty much everything for this episode. I hope, as always, it was fun, educational, and interesting, and hopefully not too boring. Um, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, concerns, or complaints, you have my email. Otherwise, I will see you next time for episode 6 of season 2, where we will talk about his kids, Apollo that is, and their descendants. And that will be our final part of Apollo before we move on to our next god of Ares. Take care.